I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hello. On this week's episode, I'm speaking with Tammy Williams. Tammy is a fiber artist based in Brooklyn, New York. Her fiber practice incorporates an array of fiber making mediums from weaving and knitting to sewing and construction. She uses beautifully printed and colorful fabrics and materials that are inspired by African prints and textiles. Tammy recently embarked on a new business venture, Yarn and Whiskey, and I'm excited to talk with her about how she got started and also what led her to making masks in response to the recent COVID-19 pandemic. Hey, Tammy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, LaShawn. I'm I can't wait to talk to you. Same as well. Can you start out by introducing yourself and telling us how you found yourself in the world of weaving and textiles? Uh, Sure. My name is uh, Tammy Williams. Uh, I live in Brooklyn, New York, but I grew up in Queens. And I guess I started out making clothes for my dolls, like when I was a kid, out of old, out of old clothes. Um, I wanted to be a, I guess when I was little, I wanted to be a a fashion designer, but my family talked me into doing something more practical. Mm. Um, Yeah, you know, we grew up kind of poor, so uh, they wanted to, they wanted to make sure I could take care of myself. Uh, So I chose to be in information technology um, and I work in IT now. But, you know, along the way, I got bored with IT and Mm. I started taking classes at FIT and I took pattern making and apparel design and sewing for apparel design and draping and things like that. Uh, But I still didn't move into fashion design. I stayed in IT. And a few years ago, I thought, you know, I think the thing I really like is fabric. And not really fashion design, because I would find myself buying fabric and kind of hoarding it Mm. and not wanting to cut it and make it into anything. I just like would admire it for its beauty. And um, that's when I decided to take up weaving and learn more about textile design. And when did you start weaving? Probably about five years ago, I remember it was like a New Year's Eve and I was having a little get together at my house and I turned to one of my friends and I said, I think I'm going to learn how to weave this year. And Mm. I did. I took classes at, um, there's a place called the Textile Arts Center in Brooklyn here. And I took like three classes, three weaving classes there. And I, I was pretty hooked from the beginning. I ended up getting a floor loom and... One floor loom is multiplied into multiple looms now. Um, so I'm kind of hooked. I haven't been weaving much lately, but I, I do love weaving. I love textiles. I love making in general. Yeah, I noticed that you have an array of fiber talents. You weave, I've seen some knitting, um, and then you also have quite a bit of sewing. Can you talk about how you began working with the other mediums as well? Was this all simultaneous? They all piled on top of each other, I guess. I started with sewing. I took one sewing class 
the first sewing class I took was at a place called, I think it was called So Fast, So Easy. I don't even know if it exists anymore, but it was in Manhattan. I took it after work. And right after that, I bought a sewing machine and I started making my own clothes and making my own patterns. I did that for a while and then I got kind of bored with that. Um, then I met a guy who was talking to me at a party about how he knits. And I was like, huh, I've never even thought to knit before. <laughs> so I took a knitting class and that I got really hooked on. I would knit nonstop. I, I never, there was a time where I didn't have like at least one or two projects going. And then I got kind of bored with that and I <laughs> took up weaving. Um, and now I'm back to sewing again. So full circle. Mm. And can you speak specifically to your weaving practice? You mentioned that you went, you know, head first in and got a floor loom. But can you talk about some of the different looms and, and how you put together the patterns and the colorways that you use? Yeah, sure. Um, when I first started, I didn't really know what I was doing outside of just warping the loom and, you know, plain weave and some twill. Uh, so I would play around with color a lot. So that's how I started. Um, my first loom that I got for myself was a, a baby Mac, a baby Macomer, um, 24 inch with eight harnesses and two, uh, uh, two back beams, a double back beam. So I kind of souped up my first loom, but then I quickly realized that it was not wide enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got, I, I went on Craigslist and this woman in New Jersey was selling her 48 inch Macomber loom for a really good price. <laughs> so I got a friend of mine to drive me to New Jersey and pick up this loom and her car wasn't big enough. And the woman was so nice. She brought the loom. She and her husband drove to my house the next day to bring the rest of the loom pieces. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was really nice. Her name was Joanne. She also gifted me like a library of books um, that I've really found valuable. So really grateful for that. But after I got the looms, then I took classes at FIT. I took, well, I took one class at FIT for weaving um, and learned more about weave structures Um I taught myself how to do overshot on my own looms by using, you know, the hand weavers pattern book that everybody has, the green book. Um, so yeah, I just, I taught myself some, I took a few classes. I never stopped practicing, never stopped drafting. Um, just taking my graph paper and seeing what I can come up with, what kind of designs I can come up with. Mm. And you, you mentioned that when you picked up the floor loom from the woman in New Jersey that she gave you a bunch of books. Are there any books in particular that still stick out in your mind? Did you read any blogs or have any fiber artists that kind of inspired you? Well, I don't, I don't read a lot of blogs, um, but this library that I've accumulated is really good. Um, there's this book by water byways in hand weaving by, uh, Mary Atwater that I found really useful. There's all, of course, there's the hand weavers pattern book. Mm. Um, but I also like looking at just art books. So the book soul of a nation art in the age of black power. I love that book. Bisa, hmm. Bisa Butler, do you know who she is? She's a 
a quilt artist. She makes these amazing quilt portraits. No, I'm not familiar, but I have to look that up. And also the previous text, what did you say it was again? Soul of a Nation, Art in the Age of Black Power. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like a really great read. It is. It's a good book. There's a lot of great art in this book. But yeah, Bisa Butler, you have to just look her up on Instagram. She makes these amazing quilt portraits. And uh, I guess when everything opens up again, she's going to have an exhibit at the Katona Museum of Art. Um, It'll be like her first solo show. Oh, that sounds amazing. She's got this portrait of, um, of Frederick Douglass that she made. And it looks like a painting, but it's all fabric. She's amazing. <laughs> wow, I definitely have to look her up. And I see that you also have recently done some experimenting with spinning and a bunch of different ways that you're incorporating, um, or or I should say going a bit further into fiber arts by making your own yarn. Can you talk about how you acquired your spinning equipment and like what inspired you to do it and what the results have been? (laughs) This stuff is always, it's funny. It's always like a whim with me. It's always like, (laughs) (laughs) but that's the best way. (laughs) That's the best way to do everything. I was like, Oh, I've got to learn how to do this thing. Um, So my friend, Allie, she's a really good friend of mine. She has a wheel and she would talk to me about spinning. And I was just never really that interested. And then, um, I don't know, one day she showed me some yarn she made and I was like, oh, I have to learn how to do this. (laughs) So I bought a wheel. I got a demo at a local yarn shop and I bought a wheel and I have an Ashford Joy spinning wheel and I was really addicted to spinning for a hot minute, but I haven't done much of it lately. I made a lot of overspun yarn, uh, but just right before the pandemic hit, um, I kind of lost my spinning mojo. Um, mm. and I was, but I was really getting good. Like my yarn wasn't over twisted anymore. It was, but it was also pretty sturdy and it was like the right width that I want. It was the right weight that I wanted. Um, so hopefully I can pick that up again and, and get back into the hang of it, but it's been a a while. Yeah. And I also noticed that in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, you are creating masks using your sewing skills. Can you talk about what inspired you to start working in that way? And um, also maybe some of the ways in which COVID-19 has affected your practice? Well, yeah. um, I don't know. When everything first shut down and I was listening to the news about how many people were dying and reading reports about how it might be airborne and looking on social media. I follow a few knitters and a few of them happen to also be nurses. And one, one morning I got up and I opened my Instagram and I saw this woman who I didn't know her at all. I just knew her from knitting and Instagram never had a conversation with her. She posted a picture of herself and it said, the caption said it was her last N95 mask. And I'm a like, I saw that and it actually kept me up <laughs> at night. Um, worried about healthcare workers getting this. I was like, if they, they can't get sick, you know, 
And then hearing how there were no masks available, I really like was spinning. Um, it was really upsetting. Um, so I started to make masks and I haven't really stopped <laughs> since the pandemic hit. It was my way to cope. I made masks and I gave a bunch away and I sent one to that woman, actually, the woman on Instagram. Oh, wow. Yeah. And like random people, if I saw on Instagram and they were healthcare workers, um, I would send them, I would ask them if they need a mask and I would send it to them. A friend of mine, my friend Allie, again, she works for a hospital. She works in IT at a hospital. Um, I sent her mask. It was, I just like felt like I needed to do it. Um, and it helped me cope with all the horrible things that were happening. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's been a really trying time and it's affected so many people in so many different ways. And I read that and I'm not sure if I have this accurate, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I read that you started your new business venture, Yarn and Whiskey in February. I did. I started it. Well, you know, LaShawn, I have impeccable timing because I had quit my job in December. <laughs> I, <laughs> I work in a school and, you know, you have to give them notice if you're leaving. You have to give them a lot of notice. So I gave mm. them notice that I was leaving and I wanted, I was going to go to grad school. I had gotten accepted to Jefferson University's uh, master's program in textile design and I was set to go. I had been accepted the year before, but I deferred. <laughs> because we were getting a new head of school and our new head of school, like for the first time I work in a private school and for the okay. first time we were getting a black woman head of school. <laughs> and as a black woman, I wanted to work with this woman. <laughs> so I deferred and I stayed um, and I was set to go in September and I thought, okay, as a way to make some money, I'll put my sewing skills to use and I'll make knitting project bags. Because every time, I, I mean, I have a lot of knitting project bags, but I always wanted ones that had um, African prints or Ankara prints. Mm. And I never could find one that I liked, like in prints that I like. Um, so I decided I'm just going to make them and sell them. If I like them, maybe somebody else does. <laughs> uh, so that was in February. I did like two marketplaces. I did two like Black History Month marketplaces. And the bags didn't really sell that well. Um, mm. But I kept making them because I liked it and I enjoyed it. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I couldn't bring myself to make a bag. I couldn't bring myself to make anything that I felt was frivolous. Mm. <laughs> and I felt like knitting project bags right now are frivolous. Um, so yeah, yarn and whiskey now. Yes, I still make bags and I still love the bags that I make. But um, it's also morphed into now um, masks for people uh, so we can leave the medical grade masks to medical workers. And mm. you know, at first I had, I didn't want to sell the masks at first. I felt kind of guilty. And I think, I don't know. I think there's maybe a shame that comes from like, I don't know like maybe selling something that you know is a necessity exactly mm -hmm. and making money off that and this is an emergency um, 
but I gave away 400 and something mass. And yeah, I was, yeah. Um, Some people sent me money. People online wanted to send me money Mm -hmm. um, for materials and things like that. There was one day, like, I was feeling so down about everything. And at my job, we have a group text um, and a bunch of people on the group text. I just texted everybody and I said, who wants a mask? (laughs) 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 And a bunch of them did. And I got on my scooter and I rode to everybody's house and dropped off a mask for like for them and their family. It felt good to do that. But yeah, I felt like I didn't want to sell them. But now I do. A lot of people are selling them, especially when I saw big companies doing it. I was like, all right, I can do this, too. There's if they like, why should I deprive myself of a livelihood to you know what I mean? Who, Who does that help? People need people need masks. <laughs> right. So. And you know, it's it's interesting because I was also having a conversation with someone else in regards to the COVID pandemic as well as the current protests happening around the country and how there's this overwhelming support of, you know, common people, you know, everyday people who are supporting with their dollars and making and supplying masks. But we've really yet to see a really big company, you know, these large corporations, billion dollar corporations give out free masks. That's true. Um, You're right. And so it's like, you know, hearing you say that you gave 400, I mean, even if you gave 50 to me, that's amazing. And being that you are a new, a new business and and all of these things, you know, 400 masks. I mean, that's, that's a lot of time. And so thank you for that contribution. It's amazing. And your masks are beautiful. And thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say, um, they're, they're beautiful masks. And you mentioned, um, specifically your love for Ankara textiles. And I noticed that you use those types of textiles when making your mask can you talk about the origins of that fabric and what it represents and also how you've sourced it oh sure um i don't i'm not an expert on what all the prints mean i actually just got a really good book about african wax prints um i just i I saw someone post about it actually uh, there's a company that makes dresses out of um african prints they're called zuri z-u-r-i and um, in one of their stories, somebody had that book. It was called African uh, Wax Prints. And I was like, oh, I have to check that out. So I bought it. Um, but yeah, I don't know what all the symbolism means. And I tend to not buy the ones that are the classic, that have the classic symbolism in them. I tend to buy ones that have big, like big giant floral prints or big abstract geometric prints. Um, cause I'm drawn to, I just like big prints. I, I didn't realize it until like my husband's aunt, who is a quilter, she pointed it out to me on a shopping, a fabric shopping trip. I would show her stuff and she'd be like, I don't like big prints. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I guess I do. I guess that's all I like. Um, so I, I buy them. I, well, when the garment district was open, there were a couple of places in the garment district where I would get them, um, African owned places. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I buy them from Etsy. There's a woman that I buy from, I think she lives in Texas. 
Um, I'll shout her out because she should get a shout out. Look up Afri Clothing Store on Etsy. She has amazing fabric. I get a lot of fabric from her. And how um, do you spell it? Afrique, uh, let me, A-F-R-I-Q-E clothing store. And it's all one word on, um, on Etsy. I probably just blew up my spot, but that's okay. <laughs> she should get some business. I hope, I hope she's doing well. Um, yeah. but I, she's, you know, black owned, African owned company. So yeah, that's what I, that's where I've been mostly buying my stuff. Yeah, I, I, once you said that, I was thinking back to my days. Cause I actually used to live in New York and I used to live in the garment district for school. And I used to love going to the shops that had various textiles from different countries in Africa, but I love specifically the mud dye textiles. Mm, yeah, mud cloth. I love yeah, mud, mud cloth. cloth. Oh my goodness. I don't have the budget for mud cloth right now. <laughs> That's exactly what I was gonna say. The 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 cost of mud cloth is so high. Yeah, so I only I only have maybe two mud cloth fabrics, but I I couldn't bring myself to cut them. So <laughs> me either, and that's why I have some, but I don't. I'm not gonna make bags out of it. It's that's in my archive, my textile archive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I will say this: I've also gotten fabric from before the pandemic hit. Uh, I would reach out to people who I knew make made dresses and sold them on Etsy. They would make dresses out of African print and I would just write to them and be like, can I buy your, can I buy your offcuts? You know, can I buy your scraps? Uh, so I got a bunch that way. And actually one designer who is an amazing designer, he sent me a box of fabric for free. He didn't even charge me for it. It was like, really nice of him he didn't have to do that it was it was the kindest thing you know <laughs> and it came like at at a really good moment because I had gone through a lot of my fabric by um like with all the masks I was making and, and giving away I'd like gone through a lot of my fabric so when he was like I'll send you this box for free you know he didn't know what I was doing I, I just I thought that was like very kind and his name is uh the the Designer is domestic, and that is spelled D-E-M-E-S-T-I-K. Perfect. And we'll make sure that we have links to all of these different amazing entrepreneurs that you're bringing to our attention. No problem. And he, oh, domestic, uh, the designer's name is Ruben. He makes these crazy, beautiful, sculptural masks that are just art. <laughs> Mm. I bought some from him because they're beautiful. Um, they're just gorgeous. So check out his shop, domestic.com. Will do. And can you talk a bit more about your yarn and whiskey website? Can you talk about some of the things that you currently have on your site? Yeah. Well, I got kind of bought out of everything last week. Really? Was, well, you know what happened? There was, I think there was a giant push to buy black. One day it was, it was probably the day after George Floyd's funeral. I can't remember the, the, not the funeral, but the memorial service. And I, I don't know. Instagram went crazy. The internet went crazy and everybody bought up a bunch of my stuff in my shop. And I was really grateful for that. Um, but 
some of the products that I will sell <laughs> once I get them in stock aside from masks are, um, I make these reversible drawstring bags. For Which are amazing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I make sure that the prints, they don't have to match exactly. They just have to kind of coordinate and be color complementary. Uh, so I make a bunch of those. Um, those are all sold out now. <laughs> I also make these, um, these 3D pouches that are kind of like popcorn bags and they, they lay flat and expand when you open them. Um, they're like rectangle shape. I have a small pouch and I have a large pouch and I'm working on a mega pouch <laughs> because, uh, I think we need a knitting project sweater size, uh, <laughs> one of these pouches that's going to come soon. Um, but I believe that is my current product lineup at the moment. I hope to expand to other types of bags, not totes or anything. I like different shapes that you can't act, you don't see everywhere. Yeah. And I, I think that's what I really love about the pouches and the, the drawstring bags that you make is that they do have a unique shape and quality about them. And they're also very multi-purpose. Like I was thinking they would be wonderful planters, a wonderful oh. to put plants in. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay, cool. That'll be cool. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that idea. That's a good idea. Another friend said they're good travel bags. Mm. Um and the pouch, the large pouch is probably a good makeup bag. Um, the small pouch, you can fit, I fit like my computer power cord in it and all the little dongles and cables you need to carry around. So mm. they're, they're, I need to work on marketing it to more than just the craft community. Um, and, but right now I am caught up in like this cycle of just trying to keep up with orders. <laughs> Um, and then I'm lucky that my husband is a photographer, so he, he can take the product shots for me. So oh, that's amazing. And so you've kind of um, talked a bit about what it's like being an entrepreneur during this time. I'm really interested in your perspective of things going on because you live in Brooklyn. I know COVID-19 hit. New York City really hard and in really high numbers. And then also over the past couple of weeks, there have been protests. Um, and New York City has always been a city that has been a center for a lot of protests and people showing resistance to discrimination throughout the country. Um, and so I'm just wondering if you can speak to your surroundings and also if you have anything that you'd like to add to the conversation about the cultural conversation we're having right now in America and really throughout the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it was hard to be here, um, for a good long while. Uh, I had, you know, I had relatives who had died. I had like relatives who had gotten sick. I had friends who were sick. I had people that I found out who had been sick and almost, it was just a lot. Um, and then, uh, on top of that, we still got institutional racism and white supremacy, you know, uh, and everyone's putting their health at risk to go out in the streets and stand up against it. Despite like 
the fact that doing that could end, you know, have you end up in a hospital, you know, or, or dead. And, and thinking about, um, disparities in healthcare on top of that, you know, one of my uncles passed away from the virus and he died at home. He was never admitted to a hospital. They sent him home. I'm like convinced it was because of disparities in healthcare. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't treated. They didn't take care of him. And that hurts. <laughs> it really hurts. Um, and I'm actually afraid of that happening to, to my husband or to me. Uh, so anyway, there are a lot of problems in this country to fix and I'm going to need people to do more than just post their like latest black history fact that they, that's new to them. Uh, especially when I know for a fact that you're my friend or you consider yourself my friend, but I also know that you really don't, you weren't about black lives matter before. And when I offered to when we would have conversations about race and it would get a little heated and I would offer books that you might want to read. You told me you didn't know. Thank you. You know, and now all of a sudden you're standing for black lives matter. Come on. I, it, I'm going to side IU and it makes me mad and, and that hurts too. Um, my hope is that this is a moment where things can change. But I've also lived a long time. I'm in my 40s. I've lived a long time. I've seen these things happen before. Actually, when I was 16, a young man who lived in my neighborhood, I grew up in Queensbridge houses, a young man who lived in my neighborhood, he died in police custody. You know, they said he banged his own head on the ground. That is, that's not believable. You know, we marched to the police station. Al Sharpton came, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. yeah. it's like, I've seen this movie before. Mm -hmm. Can we have it end differently now? I really mm -hmm. hope so. Yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's so taxing and it's so exhausting how much work is to be done, especially when you look at how much work has been done. Mm -hmm. It's like, how much more can we actually do? You know, like, like what, what is it that continues this? You know, sometimes it feels like a hamster wheel or it just feels kind of like the same entity is just recreating itself. It's like, <laughs> you know, that's really it, good. That's, you know, I, yep. it's like the devil in a new dress, you know, <laughs> like it's just like recreating itself. And um, yeah, you know, I completely identify with everything that you're saying, um, especially in the world of textiles, um, while we are having this conversation, as you mentioned before, where you see a lot of people on Instagram who are having conversations about black fiber artists and person of color fiber artists and people are understanding the importance of buying black and that there is this um, part of it that does feel disingenuous because this has this has always been the case and we've always been here. So why now? Right. And, and will we keep this up? Right. Will you be around? Like, okay, my, my shop sold out. I'm grateful, but I wonder if there will be repeat customers, you know, mm -hmm. like are, are people going to 
share my work with their network? Are they going to give me feedback, like honest feedback about the quality of my work? You know, are they going to keep coming back? Are they invested in, in me and my company? Mm -hmm. Or is it, or did you just do it to make yourself feel a little better that day? It sucks that I have to like wonder, <laughs> you know, like, and I think a lot of black makers are, are feeling that route now, especially ones who have been around. Like I, I just started like in February, but people who are real artists who have been around, who've been trying to get in the door, like, I wonder how they're feeling, you know, they must be, they must be having the same thoughts, but you know, on a higher, higher level. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a conversation to be had. I definitely feel that way sometimes where I'm like, what part of the work are you interested in? You mm -hmm. know, like what what part of it is speaking to you that's making you interested in supporting? I, I guess I haven't come to a space where I fully understand it or have a way of dealing with or coping with it. But I guess for me... um, to anyone listening to this who is identifying with the conversation, keep pushing, keep going, keep making, especially if you are a Black maker, Black textile artist. It's so important that we make and create and put ourselves out there and not allow things like, you know, what we were just talking about or just in general, the history to, to stop us from exploring and creating in a way that we always have been, you know, like fibers and textiles are really, um, really our, our roots. It's what we come from, mm -hmm. you know, slavery created the stigmas that have, that we're still coping with and dealing with and, and trying to understand. But before slavery existed, you know, as Africans, textiles are really important to our culture. So. Right. There's like a, a deep textile tradition in many parts of Africa, mm -hmm. you know, like from indigo dyeing to weaving, like yep. printmaking even, like it's all there. It's been there. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And do you have any new projects or future prospects that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, Right now, my focus is on hopefully, I keep hoping that I won't, have to make masks anymore and honestly I don't have to make them I just see that there is a need for them um but and I want to get back to bags but it seems like this pandemic is I mean it's still going on from everything I hear it's we're opening up but the pandemic ain't going away <laughs> the, yeah. the coronavirus is going to be here um so I'm my, I guess what I want to do is focus on juggling the two, like experimenting and research and development and while continuing to produce what I'm producing, um, it's going to be tough because it's just me. I'm one person. I'm lucky that my husband will take my packages to the post office for me. <laughs> Thank you, Clay. <laughs> uh, but yeah. It's, it's just me. <laughs> so I'm working as fast as my hands can work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so where can people go on social media and the internet to follow your work? Oh, sure. I'm on um, Yarn and Whiskey, Yarn and Whiskey on Instagram. Uh, and I'm yarnandwhiskey.com as my website. 
And if you just want to follow my personal page, I'm Digitam, D-I-G-I-T-A-M. And on there, I like, I will post random things. Um, some of it's knitting related. Some of it is just like what's happening in my life. But if you're curious, you can follow Digitam too. Um, and I have a Facebook page that I set up and it's yarn and whiskey on Facebook, but really I haven't put a post on there because I am not, I'm not a big Facebook person, but I've been told I should have a page there. Awesome. Do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts? Well, I guess if you're a person who makes things, I think if you're a maker, you should make something every day. And maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be in your favorite, the craft that you rely on the most. Like if you're a weaver, you don't have, maybe you don't have to weave every day, but you should make something every day. Um, for example, like on sometimes if I don't feel like sewing or just to unwind at the end of the day, I'll take my fabric scraps and make a little collage out of them. And actually, I'm very inspired by Bisa Butler. I don't attempt, <laughs> I don't attempt portraits like she does, but I will just like take some glue and a piece of paper and make a little collage. And to me, like that's keeping my creative brain going. Um, so I guess that's my advice is just find a way to keep your creative brain going. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, LaShawn, for having me. I'm so happy that I got to talk to you. Well, I'm so happy that you agreed to join and I'm excited to share this episode with our listeners. That's a wrap. If you're interested in supporting Tammy's work or to visit her online shop, you can find links to her website in the show notes at www.gistyarn.com slash episode dash 118. Next week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Yaro Magdalena. Yaro lives a soft, slow life in Scotland and creates rituals and ceremonies for the big and small milestones in life. They also write, make textile art, host a podcast, swim in the sea all year, and do a lot of queer dreaming. I'm excited to have Yaro on the podcast next week. Stay tuned for that fascinating episode. Until next time, happy weaving.